Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Go ahead and grab a seat, take a seat, and I want to also welcome you, whether you're in this room with us or you're watching us online, streaming us from, the, from our website, or, or watching us on our Facebook page. We're so glad you're a part of this time, this experience. We're so glad that you here in this room are a part of this time and experience. We have a good crowd here today in second hour. We'll report to you in first hour. We were packed. We were very close. I noticed Pastor John, Pastor Dave doing a quick number number count, making sure there was six-foot social distancing, making sure we were very close to maybe having to ask a couple of people to come back in second hour, that we were that close. Right, John? That close. But we weren't there yet. We weren't ready to pull that trigger, but we had good attendance, and there were some folks that were back that hadn't been around for a little bit that felt comfortable uh, rejoining, reconnecting live in person uh, here. And so it was a good first hour. I anticipated being a Good second hour. Uh, obviously, the end of the end of the year. Here we are in 2020, and and I realize in the last month the Lord has driven me to worship Him and just have a greater than normal thankful heart because it occurred to me that uh, I, I'm 46 years old now. There was a season in my life through my 30s I did everything I could to to I, I lived by the homage of you're as old as you feel, and I felt pretty young. And, uh, and so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to quit forgetting my age. I'm just going to quit. I'm going to quit paying attention to my age. I'm going to forget my age. And when people ask me how old I am, I'm going to be able to honestly say, I don't know, because I quit counting 10, 15 years ago. And, and that was my experiment I was doing. And I had a wife who thought that was ridiculous. So she reminded me every opportunity, uh, every opportunity she could exactly what my age was at that moment. And I think she finally, I, I, I don't know, there was a, a time, maybe like a two-week time period that, um, uh, that she, I guess, kind of gave up where she was just letting me live in my ignorance, you know? And so she quit doing it, but then came along Dax. And Dax now has taken his mama's spot and reminding me every opportunity he can that I'm 46 years old and he'll tell you, you know, he'll tell strangers on the street, my daddy's 46 years old. So I've just, I finally waved the white flag between my wife and my son. I am going to always know exactly how old I am at any time of my life. Well, so I realized in the last month that, that, that at 46 years old, I'm supremely blessed in that, you know, I've never really had a year. I never and out of my mouth said, boy, uh, this was a bad year. I mean, I've had tragedies just like you all have. I've lost my mom, and there's been those disappointments professionally, uh, familially. Uh, uh, there's been those, those things that have just, you know, that have rocked me and, and been difficult. But, but I've never had one after another after another disappointment and life tragedy strung together in one year that made me go, wow, I got to forget this year. This is, this is a bad year. And, and so I realized this, this past month as I've been thinking about that and thinking, you know, I've never had a time where I've just wanted to just push a year away from my memory. And I, it drove me to worship, drove me to th- say, thank you, Lord, because really my life has been 
a life of blessing and a life of a good life. Because I realize there have been many people who would be like, yeah, Tony, I've had five of those years. You know, I, I can say this year and this year and this year were hard years. Well, I, I got to say, I think all of us probably, without exception, would say 2020 was a year we could just put remove. We could just push that year aside. Let's just forget it. Let's move on to 2021, you know? And, and so I finally, after 46 years, I can say 10 years from now, I'm going to be like, yeah, 2020 was the year I was just ready to get through and move on to the next year, you know? And, and so uh, as we're thinking about that, as we're thinking about 2020 being behind us and thinking about just the difficulty and the, the craziness and all the tumult and just all the frustrations that were there in 2020, man, my prayer for you and for me and for our church is that 2021 would just be a year of blessing, would be a year in which we see God at work powerfully in our lives and God at work in our community and God at work all around the world and that we get to be a part of that in some some way, you know, some way that's significant to us. That's my prayer for us. And I've been thinking about just who we are as a people, who we are as a church, and and just remembered where we have come in the last two years. Because, you know, in 2019, for whatever reason, God laid it upon me, God laid it upon the other pastors, and God put it upon our leadership team that it was just time to revisit who we were as a people. You see, we, we started back on September 11, 2005. We were very clear about wanting to be a church for unchurched people, about that there were a lot of people that would not go to the standard churches in North Springfield or Southwest Missouri. And so could we create that kind of culture? Could we create that kind of church that people that were far from God or maybe people who were de-churched, people who they were a part of God's family, but for whatever reason, they unplugged themselves. Could we be that kind of space where those people feel comfortable connecting to God for the first time or reconnecting to him? And, and so that drove us for many years. But we found ourselves in 2019 just saying, you know, the vision is a little hazy. Uh, our marching orders are a little bit fuzzy in this season. And so let's revisit, and whatever phrase you want to use, redream the dream, recast the vision. Let's, let's spend some time really focusing on who we are called to be in the next decade. And so we began that process in 2019. Let me tell you, it was especially a guy like me who's a kind of, you know, uh, live by the seat of your pants kind of guy. That that's, takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of focused, clar clarifying conversations, you know, that were difficult for me to lead and difficult for me to just even understand the process, how that works. But, but we did it. You know, we, I can tell you that, that Pastor John, Pastor Dave, and myself spent a lot of time in prayer together, spent a lot of time uh, talking together. We spent a lot of time wrestling. We spent a lot of time just, you know, arguing and debating. And then, of course, our leadership team, we brought them into that, those discussions. And we had, I, I don't believe it would be overstatement to say hundreds of hours in 2019, uh, hundreds of hours of discussions, of prayer time, of meetings with one another and with leaders to say, what, what does God want us to be? Out of those meetings, out of those discussions, out of that time, we crafted, we believe we got a hold of a vision. We got a hold of a, of a picture of what God wanted us to be. And we began the, the even more difficult process of crafting that into a vision statement. And many of us have read books on 
vision statements and purpose statements and all of those things. And ultimately, what I've come to conclude that our vision statement, it served as an idea. It served as an ideal for us to say that that is what I'm aspiring to live by. That is what I want to do. And we created this statement that said this is going to help us craft and show an idea to people that are connecting to us and say, this is what we believe we're supposed to be doing in the next decade. And so we have a video that, that shares that statement. I want you to watch it. of our friends and family give their lives to the Lord Jesus. We will do this by inviting them to come and see, and by going into our world praying, caring, and sharing with people the Lord puts in our path of influence. We will be standing in the gap when we join with others to do life together in small groups for the purpose of support and growth as we read the Bible together, pray together, and share together. We will be standing in the gap as we join together each week to worship the living God. In so doing, we will experience life change. Our families will be strengthened and the gospel will be proclaimed. As we enter into worship, the Lord will join us and he will meet our felt and unfelt needs through his transformational power. We will be standing in the gap as we join our lives and resources to meet the needs of our community by serving them in both big and small ways. Our community is made up of hurting kids and people without hope who find themselves cast aside by the world. We will enter into their lives to provide the answer of the risen Jesus who wants to redeem and restore them. We will be standing in the gap as we participate in multiple mission opportunities locally and globally. We know that the work is too great for one church to accomplish. So we will endeavor to grow our partnership with networks and organizations that are intent on expanding the kingdom across the nations. We know we are standing in the gap as we see families strengthened because marriages are welded together by faith in Jesus. We will work to see dads present in their families, loving and raising their kids. We will embrace single people to enter into our family culture. They will become our brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, even our moms and dads, knowing they have gifts that will strengthen and bless the family. We know we are standing in the gap as we are known in our community as a house of prayer. Our family, friends, and neighbors will be seeking out our church to pray for the needs in their lives. We will not stop doing this until Jesus calls us heavenward. In this work, God's kingdom will expand, Satan's dominion will shrink, thousands will be saved, and hundreds of leaders will be developed and called into the work ahead of us. 
Will you stand in the gap? I ask again, will you stand in the gap? this we created this this statement this uh, this vision to help propel us in the next decade we lay it out there we introduce it to you we decide, we developed even benchmarks for the next three years two years one year to help us move forward it wasn't a case of us just creating the document and say well there you go good luck I mean we we began very just very strategically and and how are we going to live this out how are we going to get better and better and more fluent and being able to do the things that we've described. Oh, it was so easy, friends. It was so simple. And the whole time uh, that we were doing that, I also understood that the greatest and the most hard, the hardest part of leadership is keeping people going the same direction, is to keep from mission creep or, or vision drift from occurring. But, but during those times, those weeks and months, it was super simple. And to the point of where I was like, man, this, this isn't hard. This is easy. What I, what, is, what I was most scared of, most frightened of, is the easiest thing for us as an organization to do. And that's where we were at. And then 2020 came, right? And 2020 hits, and we hear a rumor of this virus far away, and we feel the climate of our political culture just beginning to heat up just a little bit. And oh, we didn't know what we were in for, did we, over the next year of what life would be like. And it caused us as a church to consider a question that none of us had considered, to ask a question that we never realized until we were in the middle of it. This new question that came our way was simple. How do we stand in the gap for others when we see giant gaps in our own lives. You, you see, at this point in 2019, when we were crafting this, the reality was, yeah, there were people that had tragic circumstances going on within our church. Yeah, there were people that were dealing with marriages that were rocky and broken and that they were fighting for. Yes, there were families that had kids that were wayward and that were disconnected and were breaking their mamas and daddy's hearts and we were dealing and minister with them. Yes, there were families that jobs were, were hit and miss, jobs were, were fragile, finances were shaky. We were dealing with that as, as a church and as individuals, but the reality is as an organization, as a church, we were really in a strong position. As, as people, we did not have these giant glaring gaps. And we were able to say, yeah, we can answer the situation that God has placed us in out of our power, out of our plenty, out of our, our means, and out of all the things that are going for us right now. But then when 2020 hit, all of us discovered that there were giant gaps in our lives. Now, let's just press pause for a little bit and help me. Let me help us understand what we're talking about 
with these giant gaps. And it comes from a, from a thing called Maslow, okay? Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The psychologists and the people that have taken psychology classes are very familiar with Maslow. Most psychologists are informed by this guy named Maslow. Most uh, sociologists are informed with it, uh, by him. Most people who study people and people who study organizational thought would be directed to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Maslow was a guy, I believe, in the 1800s, uh, an atheist, right? He would just tell you that up front. He was a thinker about very human focus, and he was asking the question, why do humans behave the way they do? And he discovered that, that most people kind of operate real similarly in similar circumstances. And he developed this pyramid scheme that I crafted here for you, and, uh, and I'll just very quickly go through it so that we can kind of think through this together. Maslow said, now I termed the base of the pyramid as felt needs. That's not what he called it. He called it physiological needs. I did not have confidence in my spelling of physio physiological. I don't even have confidence in my saying of that word, right? So I just put felt needs. And what Maslow said is every human being, before they can aspire to greatness, before they can accomplish incredible things in their world, they have to know that their physiological needs are met. We're talking about food. We're talking about water. We're talking about rest. We're talking about being able to breathe and have a regular sustaining of uh, sustenance of clean air. You know, you think about it. Someone here, perfect example of Someone, when they are, when you take them out into the ocean and you forcibly hold them underwater and you hold them underwater for, you know, 90 seconds and you pull them up as their, their, their lungs are on fire and, and you ask them, what do you want? None of those people are going to say, I want a steak dinner, right? They're going to say, I want air. I need air. I need to live, you know? So the idea of people that are living on this level this is like the, the caveman, the barbarians, right? These are people that, that they're just, they don't know where their next meal's coming from. So their whole focus, all of their energy, everything they're putting their mind towards is just securing those things. You know, when you wonder how, you, we read about like back in the 90s in Mogadishu and how could people do the things that they do to one another? Well, this answers that question of when you take, the ability of getting just food and water to a family, a dad who knows his kids are going to go hungry for days, if not weeks, if not months, would do terrible things to people around him to try to secure food, right, for his family. So Maslow said that when, when a person gets their physiological needs met, they advance and they go into what he calls safety. What safety was, he was defining it was security, protection, shelter, right? You think about it like those shows that are bound now on TV where they just send people out into the bush with like a knife and a lighter or something like that. And they have to survive for a weekend or a, a, a week. Think about, you know, what, do they, what are they doing? What do they first do? They try to get water, right? They're trying to figure out how to get safe water. They're trying to figure out how to eat and get protein. And then when they get those things kind of established, what do they start doing? They start making a a shelter, don't they? They start, they find a cave or, or the, you know, they're like, let's make a teepee, you know, let's make a lean-to, let's figure out a way to protect ourselves 
from the elements. That's the next level. The idea that once you get those physiological needs met, then you as a person start looking around for safety, security, being able to know you can sleep at night with your family in a home and you don't have to worry about some jackbooted thug kicking in a door and dragging you out in the middle of the night, right? That's what safety is. And out of that, then the next area, the next tier of meaning or purpose is developed according to Maslow. And he calls that belonging. The idea of trying to connect to a group of people, to a tribe, to a clan. You have friends, you have community, you're developing, you're building relationships, and you begin to to feel connected to people around you. And Maslow says that when you start living and optimizing that area, that part of you, you graduate to this next tier, which is esteem, the concept of esteem, the idea of success and prestige and acknowledgement, you know? That's the guy that, that is, it's important for him to have a wall of, of plaques that every organization, every rotary club, you know, gives you for doing something special. It's important to this person to know that they've accomplished great things around them. You know, Maslow would say that there's those people who could give a rip about any of those things. They don't care about about being acknowledged by people around them. What Maslow would say is, well, that person hasn't fully realized these lower things. They're still working on these things. They haven't gotten into the esteem section of their brain, of their psyche, of their spirit yet. Um, But once they do, once they start optimizing that, then the peak of existence, according to Maslow, was this concept that he calls self-actualization, right? And self-actualization, he would argue, is releasing the full potential of a person. Uh, He would say that's where people start acting spiritually, where people start acting, you know, where they love their neighbors as themselves. They, they, they are doing things outside. They're, they're helping people in ways that are, that are uh, above the norm. That's the self-actualization, your, your greatest self coming through. Now, hear me clearly. This is an understanding of what a, a psychologist is trying, psychologist that, that is far from God that has not had the Holy Spirit invade their lives, this guy is trying to understand why humans do the things that they do, okay? So in many regards, this is a, a, you know, you look around and you, you go, yeah, that makes sense. I could see that. I could see that. Well, under Maslow's thinking, it makes sense when we talk about that we will stand in the gap for people who can't stand in the gap for themselves. It makes sense that that people who are saying that and are meaning that and are doing that, they have one, two, three, and they're living in the fourth area at least. They have these bottom things covered and they're figuring out how to get esteem and how to get people taking note of themselves. That Maslow would say, yeah, it makes sense that, that if there's a bunch of people doing that, they're living in this quadrant, right? There's, that, that makes perfect sense to him. But what happens when... 2020 rolls around, and all of a sudden now, we start having felt needs taken away from us. You know, I remember times going through the, the, the price cutter near my home, and I don't see a single loaf of bread on the shelf. And I remember thinking, man, I remember as a kid when the Soviet Union collapsed, seeing these images, but I never dreamed I would see them in America. And 
people started feeling fear, didn't they? Wondering if, do I need to start hoarding toilet paper? Think about the fear in a society when someone would go, toilet paper, that's going to be the commodity of the future. Not gold, not, not silver, not bullets, not bandages, but toilet paper, right? And I saw people, I saw, I was at some stores where people were, were cursing one another because someone grabbed the last load of toilet paper and they were going to buy it. And another person said, I know you have a bunch of it at your home. Why do you, I need that. And they were getting, about to get in a fist fight over toilet paper, right? But all of a sudden, people start doing strange things, don't they, with their life, when all of a sudden their felt needs are destroyed. Or think about the area of safety. Remember in those early years or those early days? It feels like years, doesn't it? Those early days when you go to a gas station and you're looking around going, oh, how do I, how do I fill my gas tank? I mean, if I, touch, if I touch that pump, I mean, how many hundreds of other people have touched that pump? If I touch that pump, I'm going to die. You know, you people getting hazmat suits on, and, and even then they're like touching touching the pump with two fingers, right? And 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 or someone's like following around. They're waiting for the for the employee to come out and start cleaning. And what do you do? As soon as you as soon as you see him cleaning that 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 pump, then you run to that pump, right? You want to be the first person that is touching the pump after it's been bleached. Well, their their safety. We're hearing stories of people getting sick, and we don't understand why exactly, and, and safety gets wiped out. Belonging. Hey, here's the reality, friends, and there's some of you that are watching online that, that you've taken a giant step back from community, right? Because you're, you're concerned about what this means for your safety and what it means for your health and so you disconnect from other people. We see a ton of disconnecting happening because what people are seeing political stuff. People are seeing even, even stuff about, about this virus from different perspectives. And so it's no longer a, hey, you know what? We can agree to disagree, but it's like we have to din up with our tribes. And, and if you disagree with me about, you know, to vaccinize or not to vaccinize. Well, if you disagree with my position, then you're the biggest jerk and you're stupid and you're dumb and you're evil. And how dare you even have a right to have an opinion? We start using that kind of rhetoric, right? Whichever side you're on, and we find belonging all of a sudden breaking. And then we, as a people, we're no longer operating in this world where we have all of our stuff, but we start saying, well, how can I stand in the gap for other people? Because I have giant gaps in my own life that I need someone to stand in the gap for me. And you stop ministering. You stop working for the kingdom. You stop doing the things that you know God has called us to do. That's where we found ourselves, especially those days in March and April, when we're just trying to figure out how, how will we live? You see, Maslow, based on his hierarchy of needs, would say, well, it is only natural for us to be self-focused and disconnected and selfish. That's what Maslow would say. But again, as I already reminded you, Maslow is a pagan. 
Maslow was a person who has never had the Holy Spirit invade his life and redeem his mind and change his heart and make a difference in how he thinks about how he's to live and operate within this world. And I would offer to you that there is another option called the way of Christ. You think about it, Christ's action, his greatest act, Christ, we believe the scripture says that, that Jesus was an active part in creating the cosmos and creating this universe that we know today. That was a great act, wasn't it? I mean, it was pretty incredible. We can't wrap our minds around it because it was such a big act. But even greater than that act was Christ coming to this earth, dying on a cross, and because of his sacrifice, he freed us from sin, freed us from death, freed us from hell, freed us from the enemy, and allows us to have relationship with God the Father. Our salvation that was done in Christ was his greatest act. And get this, it was done in absolute weakness and brokenness. You see, the reality was Jesus could not do that act from heaven when he has all the celestial power in his hands. He cannot do this act when he has all authority and he has armies, legions of le and legions of angels doing his bidding, bidding in, king, in, in the kingdom of heaven. But he has to come to earth. He has to be a broken individual. He has to be at a point when his friends and the people that are around him look at him and say, at best, you are cursed. And at worst, you, I can't believe I ever even heard, believed a word you said. You know, all of his friends around him left him, his body broken, his body beaten. He is naked. He is humiliated. And in that moment of the greatest weakness, he does the greatest act that has blown the world away 2,000 years later. You see, it, it, it hones me in on a principle that I am living out and I'm practicing in my life, and that is this. The principle is your act of standing in the gap will be most profound and have the most significance, not when you're working from strength and plenty, but when you are in a position of need and a place of want. Do you get that? More people are going to pay attention to when you stand in the gap, when, not when you are able to, to operate with all of this power and all of this authority in your lives, but when, when the, the needs are so evident in your life and you are still standing in the gap for other people, that's when folks pay attention. I mean, think about Scripture. It's replete with examples of how this operates David, King David, when he was chosen, God tapped him on the shoulder to be the king of Israel, to be the forerunner of the, to, 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 to develop the, the family that the Messiah would come from. What does the scriptures show us about David? That, that he was the weakest. He was the runt in his family. No one in his family, no one in his clan, no one in his tribe, when they looked at David, would say, there's our king. And yet it's that guy that God uses. Think of the widow that sheltered Elijah, right? God sent Elijah to be taken care of, not in the wealthiest community, not with the wealthiest family who had plenty and had a great means, extraordinary means to take care of someone. He sends Elijah to a widow, a little one-room hovel in which he was to live, in which he was to be taken care of, in which he was to be protected from the might of this pagan king, this enemy king. Uh, it was a widow that took care of Elijah and protected him in a, in a position of weakness. 
Think of the New Testament. I mean, you know, Jesus is in the temple and there's this little broken old lady who gives just a small amount, her, her life savings, which are just a few pennies. And Jesus goes, hey, stop, everyone, stop, 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 stop. This is giving. This is what we aspire to. This is what we need to be like if we're going to really do something profound for the kingdom of God. Or think of, think of the boy that gave his lunch to the, to the disciples. You know, this boy didn't, he wasn't feasting at some buffet where he, he went up to the bar six or seven times and then out of his plenty said, hey, disciples, here's some more food for you. This boy, he, he has just a few fish and some bread. And, and for the record, we as Americans go, well, that was his lunch. No, no, that probably was not his lunch. That was probably his supply for the next several days that he was going to be eating off of. And he has this small amount of food that was going to be what, what he used to keep alive. And he gives it to the disciples, and the disciples give it to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He does something incredible, something that we are still talking about to this day. And he multiplies that food, and he feeds thousands of people. You see, the reality is you will do profound things when you're standing in the gap. Not when you're operating out of plenty and you're saying, oh, okay, I have a couple of hundred dollars at the end of the month. I'll use that in some way to, to, to stand in the gap for people. But when we find ourselves in want, when we, find ourselves, when we find ourselves broken, when we find ourselves distracted, when we find ourselves saying, man, I have some gaps in my life I need ministered to. When we're in that position and we're willing to stand in the gap, God uses it to change people, and cultures, and nations in a profound way. I just want to finish this time reading a scripture to help guide you and guide us in our thinking. I don't have like three points to give you to help you understand the scripture better, but my prayer is this, that the scripture would be exactly what I understand it to be, which is a profound tool that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit, that the Father created to put into our lives to change us from the inside out. And my prayer for you today is as I read this scripture, it would just keep on bouncing around your head this week. Matter of fact, if you're connected to us through Facebook, if you're connected to us through our, through our app, there will be several times, several things that will pop up throughout the week that will remind you of portions of this scripture. And my prayer is that you would tune into that and just allow that to just bounce around your head, bounce around your heart, and just see what the Spirit does with that. Philippians chapter 2. As Paul writes this to the church, he's writing this to us, and he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of other people. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used. Some translations say grasp to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. That very nature that Jesus showed is the standard for us as a church, is the standard for God's people. That, that's not some ideal that we go, oh, uh, no one can live up to that. Paul is saying everyone's to live up to that. That's the norm for how a Christ follower behaves in this world. So let us not be people who say, hey, I'll stand the gap when all my gaps are met. Hey, I'll stand the gap when I have everything I want, every dream is met, every bucket list is checked, everything is done in my life. That's when I'll be ready to give to God. Because if that's your standard, guess what? You'll never serve. You'll never give. You'll never be obedient. But instead, let's say, you know what? We don't need, we don't need all of our gaps met, but we are going to be obedient because we believe that we are called to be people who stand in the gap for those who can't or won't stand in the gap for themselves. And we will be those people through the thick and the thin, through the good times and the bad, through the rough times and the happy times, through the times of physical health and prosperity, and in the times of sickness and death, we will be people who stand in the gap. And I invite you to join your church and being a part of that, whether you're in this room right now or you're online watching us, be a part of that people, be a part of that goal. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for knowing that in Jesus' brokenness, in his weakness, in his hurt, he did a great work and made it so that we could know you as Father and we could be sons and daughters of the Most High King. And so we worship you and we praise you for that and we ask you, God, help us, show us how we can stand in the gap in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our want, in the midst of our recognizing that, that we have needs. Show us, God, how to be the people you have designed us to be. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.